Welcome to The Space Between the Notes, a bedroom disco podcast. I'm Sam Walsh, your host. I'm excited to bring you today's episode in which I talk with Meg Remy. Meg is the creator of the Toronto-based experimental pop project US Girls, whose eighth album, Bless This Mess, comes out on February 24th through 4 AD. I discovered U.S. Girls back in 2015 when Meg released the album Half Free, which introduced me to her vignette style of structuring albums, her witty pop lyricism, and her penchant for 60s girl pop and surf rock and 70s disco sounds. Half Free was a collection of dark songs about women taking back control over their lives after experiencing trauma or oppression. She followed up with an album in 2018 called In a Poem Unlimited, which doubled down on the dance grooves and the politics. 2020's Heavy Light, while still upbeat in tempo, was an album about mourning, shot through with grief about our world in decline. In 2021, she released her first book of lyric essays titled Begin by Telling. Bless This Mess pushes towards acceptance with the same level of intensity that Heavy Light mourned with. It's an album about how little control we really have. It holds the world's beauty and devastation up to the same light and says... What's going on in your body right now? For Meg, it was pregnancy. And she used her art to document the physical changes in her body while carrying twins. We discuss all of this and more in our conversation. Good. This uh, regular morning routine of, you know, getting, being with kids and changing diapers and cleaning up lots of food on the floor and trying to get coffee into me and things like that great we're, we're, yeah. we're probably going to talk a little bit about motherhood i think <laughs> uh-huh. yeah sure so well there are no other bands at least that i listen to that sound like us or do you call it a band or is it your project yeah either or really okay. i'm not too well, uh, strict with language so well, since, since I first heard you back in 2015, when you released Half Free, mm-hmm. I've been following your music pretty closely. And I've always associated it with the uncanny mm. or these kind of domestic spaces that are made uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And you're such a skilled storyteller and you always make really kind of bold choices in terms of influence and arrangement. Mm-hmm. that are kind of playful and dark but all, always very political and while bless this mess is 
easily identifiable as a US girls record pretty quickly. What's different about it is that it feels slightly more optimistic. Um, and we'll dig into some of the themes, like I said, of the album. But first of all, do you agree with that assessment? Uh, it's really interesting because I heard that I heard that from someone else yesterday, too. And it really surprised it was surprising to me. Because uh, I, I can see it being perceived that way. And I think like, uh, maybe on the surface, it, it, it maybe it, it would appear as that more optimistic. I think I would, for me personally, would say, though, that I've just grown more okay with uncertainty and uncomfortableness and um, that I've accept I'm like working more on accepting it. So it's it's like not an optimist or pessimist thing. It's a this just is thing. And life feels much more if it, it, I'm taking it less personal, <laughs> you know, life, I like I'm taking my life and then the larger life less personal. Now it's just not really, it's not really about me. It's not uh, some sort of reaction to anything I've done. Uh, it, it just, it just carries on and is what it is and kind of accepting that I don't, I don't really have much control over anything, not, not barely even myself, um, has been a, a positive, uh, tool for me to have in my kit, you know, a very useful tool. And the, the only reason that I said that is because it does feel like a kind of coming to terms with the coexistence of beauty and sadness in the world and yeah. uh it's not as angry as in a poem <laughs> yes. unlimited or as grieving as heavy light yeah i'm definitely not anger i'm letting it i've let a lot of anger go some people anger is a really useful um a useful tool if we're talking about tools it's it, it can really um, be a fuel to get them to act or change something or uh, for me it was it wasn't it maybe made me make a lot of art but um, it wasn't good for my body and my soul and I think sometimes ang when you're really angry you're convinced that you're right because you feel something so it feels so passionate and urgent that you must be right you know and I think anger, you're not able to hear other perspectives. And I think that that was something I wasn't, I wasn't doing enough of. Um, I was really just kind of cemented in my, in my perspective, in my anger. You almost have mantras that come on this album to, to remind <laughs> you of that, the yeah. breathing in, breathing out um, on Futures Bet is almost yeah. like a mindfulness mantra sure. yeah yeah um, and it's i thought almost there's corny at this time you know it's almost like yeah a, it's like a breath you know like i remember saying to my vocal teacher who's like a very funny woman i was like i think i'm thinking about getting like the word breathe tattooed on my hand she was like oh don't be one of those bitches and i was like <laughs> yeah maybe not like there's a it's very interesting how mindfulness um can also it's like become just a way to sell things too you know like that's where true, true everything will be co-opted by the yeah, market 
true mindfulness should be that it, I, I've really found in my life that when I'm feeling really mindful, I don't, I'm not, there's nothing I could buy or think of buying. I, it, it really collapses that it collapses the marketplace. It collapses desire, like a lot of things. And, um, I, I find it very funny, but also sweet and understandable how uh, mindfulness and this, this kind of wellness situation has gotten totally taken over. Well, you talk about funny. And one of the things I really want to ask you about is uh, your humor, which is a defining characteristic, I think. And well, you have, well, we have to talk about Tux, which is a song yeah. written from the point of view of a dinner jacket. Um, <laughs> And there's also Screen Face, which is my favorite song on the album, which has Amazing. this kind of like hangout vibe that feels like it came from a stone conversation or something. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got a wonderful everydayness about it. Where does humor fit into the writing process? How important is that to you? I find it's extremely important for not getting too like high on my own supply. You know, I find that humor keeps me grounded uh, it keeps me real. I think like I have a an, an idea and I don't know where it came from. I think it came from like being just inundated with the past and artists and icons and things that like you have to be mysterious to be like a good artist or like, you know, like untouchable or unknowable or like quiet or something. And I don't like that because that's not really that's not how who I really am. Who I am is like I'm extremely talkative to the point of where I would, you know, something I'd like to work on and like I'd like to laugh. And humor's gotten me through some of like of the hardest times in my life. And it's been humor's also just been a way to um break apart really complex topics, I find, is is to kind of splinter them and laugh at different parts and make jokes and pit them against each other and play with language, especially. Um, and laughing at myself is been so important to my like personal healing and growing and being able to take risks and go on stage and act like a fool like laughing on stage was a huge development for me. Um, so I think it's yeah, it's extremely important. And I appreciate you uh, seeing that thread. Um, yeah, I don't, I think the music that I make and the art I make, if it didn't have humor would be really hard to swallow. I think it would be like so pretentious and so know-it-all that, yeah, I most likely wouldn't be sitting here talking to you, you know? <laughs> Um, I, I really want to ask you about Tux, where that came from. Yeah, just came from like, you know, those deep days of like when things were locked down and my mind wandering and thinking about all the things that had become kind of useless or obsolete during that time. Like people's closets full of clothes, you know, when you imagine like when you see like a walk-in closet with so many shoes and all of those things and it just it made a lot of objects seem very silly and um the tuxedo just really stood out to me of like who's who's wearing a tuxedo right now i'm sure somewhere in the world tuxedos were still like on yachts and stuff people were still wearing them 
because uh, like the uber wealthy, their world didn't stop with COVID, I don't think. But like, yeah, it, it then made me think about objects in general. Like my husband and I are always talking about consciousness, you know, like everyone agrees that humans are conscious and like some animals are conscious, but not all. And like our bugs and like, do rocks have consciousness, this kind of thing. And so, yeah, it just got me on to clothes and imagining like an outfit very sad in a closet <laughs> it wasn't being worn and it can remember when it was worn and where it went and how its owner like the body felt and it just kind of spun out from there and once it was there it was so easy to write and fun particularly because it was humorous you know and when when you're using humor there's no limits you're not trying to be like stick to some poetic uh parameters or like this like really abstract language or anything it, it using humor and then also personifying an object it's really like you could go anywhere it's a very the imagination just it, it the doors just blew open so that was it was really really fun fun to write and I think that the results are so strange <laughs> It's really amazing to listen. When I first heard that song, I laughed out loud m multiple times. Yeah. And it, yeah. You're definitely like, you're kind of drawing a lot of lines to embodiment. It is one of the most foregrounded themes on the album. And I would be remiss if I didn't talk about motherhood and pregnancy <laughs> with you. Um, you're pregnant on the album cover. Yeah. You're now the mother of twin boys. You said you wanted to capture how your body and your voice were changing during the pregnancy. You sampled your breast pump on the song pump <laughs> and yeah. you were even holding your newborn children during some of the vocal takes, which I think is very sweet. Yeah. Um, and we perhaps don't have enough time to talk about your lyric essays um, in begin by telling, yeah. uh, which in their own way inhabit the language of the body. Um, but can you just talk a little bit about your your focus on embodiment and how that manifests itself in the form of the music? Because this is dance music, a lot of it. Yeah. Um, I think that like embodiment is something that I've been working on personally for many years at this point. The record, the pre record previous to this heavy light was all about that because it was recorded live. So I had to prepare my body to make that record because I was it was there was no, you know, redoing something. There was no punching in to fix something. It was, we have to do this. So it was all about getting in the body and shutting the mind off and doing the thing, right? And that brought up a lot of stuff. That was such a difficult process for me. And it, the body informed the music and how, how it was recorded, everything, that everything was coming from people's 20 bodies in a room, literally, you know, all working in in concert with each other. So this time around making this record, you know, it was a it was like forced embodiment because I it was concurrent with the pregnancy. I now could not ignore my body because there was two lives inside of me that were depending on me eating 3000 calories a day. Like that's how much I had to eat. So my embodiment became tied up with two other people's bodies, you know, having like 
three hearts inside my own body, you know, when when I'd be laying in bed with my husband, like we would think about that, that there's four hearts in the bed right now that are are beating. And three of them are like aware of each other, like it, it was just such a psychedelic thing. But then, like, not only what the process I was going through was affecting like what I was writing and things like that, but how I could perform the songs, right? Like when you get pregnant, your diaphragm gets just crushed. You can't breathe down the way you did, which a big part of my vocal training, most people's vocal training is finding your diaphragm, understanding how to open it and when, how to get as much air as possible, when to breathe where. That was all out the window. It was completely, so like now I'm we're preparing to play these songs live and it's a very wild thing to be now translating for a not pregnant body to sing these songs it's it's a lot easier it's way easier for me to sing these songs now it's not I'm able to really easily do it and when I'm listening to the songs and I'm performing them now, I can feel my previous body that was kind of hijacked, you know, by the pregnancy. That's what it was doing at that time. That was pretty much all I had the strength to do. I was making music, but my body was going towards this thing. I was almost on autopilot just doing this thing. Now the songs in my body feel totally free. Like I, I feel like I could, like when I start singing them, I might start floating because I'm so light compared to how heavy I was writing them and my limitations then. And I find that particularly with dance music, you know, everyone has a different form of embodiment. Everyone has different abilities with their bodies. Some people don't have legs, you know, that doesn't mean that they can't dance, that, that they have no rhythm. That's not, we all have different levels of embodiment, different bodies. And I think dance music is the perfect thing for uniting bodies, you know, because it, it affects your, um, your blood, your heart. And anyone who's alive has a heart, right? Like, and so I'm very, this is a, I'm <laughs> I'm answering all around your question, but I'm excited to play these songs live and like affect, affect people's heart rates live and see it. And like, I feel very attuned to physical cues now, particularly like, yeah, flushed cheeks and dilated eyes and things like that. I'm I'm watching two people's bodies all day long with my kids. I've learned so much about physical cues and things that I think will be useful for me on the stage performing this dance music and trying to get people to 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 get embodied during the show. Hmm. I really relate to what you're saying. You've you've you also have uh, you've talked about James Brown in the Rolling Stone feature. You talked about James Brown, yeah, and saying that he's completely engrossed in the performance. Um, and that's a state that you really crave and would like to get more, um, even in your daily life and kind of accepting life sincerely. And, and there's definitely a connection to be made between embodiment and immediacy and sincerity as themes of the album. But at the same time, there's, there is a tension because your music is so referential 
and mm -hmm. so self-aware. And I just wonder whether you find that sensibility to be at odds with kind of losing yourself in the moment of playing. Um, I don't find it with playing. I think losing it in recording, it, that's more difficult. But also, you know, like we were saying earlier, like the, the sweet and the sour of life, you know, everything is going to have its duality. So like sincerity is going to have insincerity right next door to it always at all times. Um, the kind of letting go is going to be also being strangled as well. And I feel that about James Brown, like James Brown, he was lost in his performance. He was totally free, yet he was so attuned to what his musicians were doing, he could find them on stage, right? So it was, he was doing both. And I think like, I don't think one is ever able to just be one thing. It's just not, it's just not possible. I think it's interesting to strive for. Maybe some kind of uh, monks have achieved it on a mountaintop somewhere, but that's because that's all they're doing and they don't have contact with other humans. If you're in contact with other humans, it's impossible to just be one directional, you know? It, it, it's, I haven't been able to achieve it, but I have been able to achieve on stage and a few times in my personal life, moments of complete embodiment where that's all there is in that moment. I've definitely had it on stage. I've had it like having sex. I think it's like the key to having sex. I found in my life, the more you can shut your mind off and be in touch with sensations, you know, thinking and sex are probably the, it's like the worst combination I can think of. Um, in a way you're saying that contact with other people and kind of external, stimulation in some ways is at odds with that experience that kind of experience of complete embodiment For and you're sure. also another one of the elements of your at least your recent music um is like a huge amount of collaboration community uh you finish the album by addressing everyone mm -hmm. and the things that we have in common there's this theme of shared experience and yeah you have like i don't even know how many collaborators on this one i mean your mm -hmm. husband max turnbull is uh kind of a lot of the band but alex frankel from holy ghost is on this roger manning and a bunch of other yeah. people what are your feelings about uh collaboration in the sense that this is almost like you're ever changing supergroup now yeah yeah i mean collaboration is again like i'm not a monk on a mountaintop you know <laughs> like and i also have i've been doing this for 15 years now I, you know like the first us girls record i made in 2007 alone and like my skill set hasn't changed that much in that time and if i didn't want to be making the same record over and over again and having the same experience making the record i needed to work with other people and once you start working with people it's just like it just you start meeting other people and you, you, your your ideas can grow uh, more uh, ornate because you know the people that have the skills to be able to build that thing that you want, that ornate Fabergé egg you want to do, you know, like, so 
it's also been essential to me it not being so much like the Meg show. You know what I mean? Like if it was <laughs> if it was just me, it would be boring for me first off. It would just be straight up boring for me. Same with playing live. You know, it's like the way things are right now, everything's so precarious, everything's so expensive. You know, a carton of milk here is eight dollars. Like it's wild. Even thinking about bringing a band on the road is just like it's it's ridiculous. I I should if I was smart I would just have tracks and I would sing over them because it would be really low overhead. I'd make money, and like maybe no one in the audience even cares, right? As long as it sounds good, but I can't do that. It would be so boring for me. <laughs> I. I want to be challenged. I want to work with people. I want to respond in real time to instruments. I want that feeling. I don't want to settle just um, for what would make the most money or be easiest or swiftest or something. Um, I thought it was really interesting what you were saying about like how uh, like you were reflecting back what I said like about being in touch with other people makes can make embodiment difficult or focusing or mindfulness. And I do think that's, I think that's true. And I think in our day and age, it's really difficult because it's not even like we're in touch with that many people. We're in touch with the, the, the kind of avatars of people through screens. Screen face, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, there's nothing that I think is less embodying than, than being plugged into the net. And that doesn't mean that there's not things online that can help you be embodied, but I'm talking about just the average daily usage are like stepping up to the feed trough is not embodiment. It's really the opposite of that. But I find that working together with someone on a, a project or a goal, when everyone's really focused, a group embodiment happens that is how it happens is that each individual is embodied in the moment. And that was huge on heavy light. I mean, that was wild to be in a studio space and it's like, okay, one, two, three, four. And we, everybody focused and did their part. It was so incredible. And it, it showed me that that was possible. And I think um, it's like a, collaboration in art is such a great metaphor for the larger world at hand, you know, I wish that all of us in the world could get a little bit more understand that we're, you know, one part of a whole. Yes, care about yourself, take care of yourself, do you, but like that doing, if you're doing you in the right way, it's good for others. How to, how to get there, I don't know, you know. But all I know is that when I'm, I do know that when I'm doing what's best for me and I'm saying what I need and I'm taking care of myself, I'm challenging myself, I'm pushing myself, I know that it's good for my husband. And I know it's good for my children. I see it. It's, it's a worthwhile pursuit. I, I can only speak for myself, but um, I think people do care about seeing music as a band live and I much prefer it. And it's yeah. become increasingly rare. Yeah. Artists that yeah. I love uh, living in the UK now, artists that I love often that uh, US artists that can afford to do uh, tour as a band in the US 
will come solo to the UK. So we often yes. see solo acts in the UK. Yeah. And I think that the experience is different, not always worse, but sometimes I would prefer to see full bands. And I think that, like you say, music is sacred. We need to hear it live. As it's so hard. A collaborative process. It's so hard for um, the artists because they're they're they have. It's like either they don't play or they play in that stripped down way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think they a lot of people are just like I'd rather play, or like I have to play because this is how I make my living. So we're yeah, just we're we're I, all I, compromised. I we're all so compromised. Like the audience, the the people on stage, everybody on earth is completely compromised right now. <laughs> We have to figure out uh, how to accept that and talk about it, you know, because I don't think it's changing anytime soon. Okay. Sorry, I think we have to wrap up. Oh, okay. Uh, I think I could talk to you for. Uh, yeah, really hour, nice. But... Thank you. That was such a nice. <laughs> your um, your you. I can tell. Like, yeah, you're a bit. You you're you're thinking. I appreciate just the dialogue with you. It's really nice. Well, I had a great time speaking to you. Hopefully I'll get to see you live yeah. at yeah. point. <laughs> It'll be with the that. band, I promise. So. That was me speaking with Meg Remy of US Girls. You've been listening to The Space Between the Notes, a bedroom disco podcast. I'm Sam Walsh, your host. Thanks for listening. podcast is produced edited and mixed by me sam walsh with music from greg dixon thanks to anyone who listened